You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. That music makes me want to do some kind of a... I'm here! Welcome to service. Uh, Glad you're here this morning. We are in week three of Advent, and we have some things to talk about. I don't want to get all technical on you, but we have some things to talk about before we get started with our sermon. Um, I've had a lot of people asking me, hey, are we doing a Christmas Eve service? Yes, we are, Sunday morning. Um, You mean you're not coming back Sunday evening? No. Um, Here's why. Well, there's lots of reasons why, but let me just tell you, kind of as for me, one of my jobs, one of my responsibilities is just to kind of look at our staff and, and see where they're at and what do they need. And the truth is our staff is tired. They're not always tired at this time of year, but this year they are, and uh, they need a break. And I, I can tell you this, I've had people tell me, you know, I have so many wonderful family memories of Christmas Eve services with my family, and we come together and sit as a family, and we would do things at the family. My dad was a pastor. You know how many Christmas Eve memories I have with my family? None. Zero. Why? Because my family was always working during Christmas Eve. So, um, sorry to put your candle out, but um, <laughs> Advent candles, see what I did there? Uh, sorry to blow your candle out. But the truth is, like this year, this year, our staff needs to rest and spend time with their family. Like one of the things that we do as a church, and this is not just us, it's the church kind of macro. Um, we fall into this tension of pulling wives, women away and saying, you need to be a better wife and better mom. We pull men away and say, you need to be a better father and a better dad. We pull kids away and say, you need to be a better kid, you know, clean your room and stuff. But we, we never really just give people space to actually go be a family. And this is a tension that we live in. It's not wrong that we do the things that we do. It's just this tension that we live in. And so this year for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we want you to be with your family. I have two days where my family is going to be all together, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then my kids, I got to go back to work. So I love you, but I love them more. And so we're going to OD on family time. That's just how it's going to go. So thank you. Thank you for understanding. And even if you don't understand, thank you. Um, You can come in the evening, Sunday evening, Christmas Eve. You can come here. You just have to stand outside. Have your little service out there. Sing your song, light your candle. And I'll come by and blow it out. All right. so, So today, because we're doing that, we're, we're rearranging the last three weeks of Advent into two. And so uh, we're going to do this. It actually fits really well. It's not a big deal. And I know that this isn't tradition. It's not traditional Advent. Jesus didn't come to establish Advent. He came to welcome God, welcome you to God's story in the world. But um, Advent is a tradition, and I love messing with tradition. So we're going to squeeze five weeks into four. And these last two weeks, we're going to combine the last three weeks into two. And we're going to talk about the shepherds and the angels today, which is a great, it's a great combination because they share the same passage. Like the, the shepherds and the angels, <laughs> they're inseparably connected in this. They're like Brangelina. They're, they're, which somebody told me after service, after last service, like, you shouldn't use that analogy. They're divorced. 
You, well, I don't know. You get my point. I don't know if they're getting back together or not. You get my point. It fits. Like, they're, maybe they're separated, but for the rest of history, they're going to know, people are going to know Brangelina. These are the shangels. Like, they're, they know this, they're inseparably connected. They're inseparably connected. And so we're going to work with these guys together today. And just to get a flow of where we've been, we talked in week one about Zachary and Elizabeth and about this um, social rejection that they had and how hard it was to be a part of great, God's amazing, great, gifted plan. It was hard for them. Like it cost them a lot to get there. And then we talked about Mary and Joseph and how hard it was for them to face the family rejection. So we had this cultural rejection and then this family rejection. And this week is no exception. We're talking about the shepherds. Now, there's a lot of sh debate about exactly where the shepherds are on the social ladder in this sense. Some people would say that the shepherds were so low in the social structure that they weren't even allowed to give testimony in court. Um, that's a really hard thing to verify. We know that in some cases that was the case, but was that an across-the-board thing or just in certain instances? We don't know for sure. What we know for sure is no matter how you string up the social ladder, shepherds are on the bottom. There is no reason for God to come to them with the most important message in the world. And what I love about this story is that Sometimes God pulls people out of their suffering and uses them, and we see this great resolve, and it's beautiful. And some people, God, sometimes God uses people because they're faithful and true, like Mary, and they're you know they're righteous and found they've been found uh, with favor from, in God's eyes. And and then sometimes God chooses people to use for no reason at all, which gives hope for you and me. Because I think the vast majority of us, like some of us, we live in this tremendously hard story. And yes, that's real. And for some of us, we've worked hard and lived right and been righteous and all that stuff. And God would use us there in our faithfulness. But for the vast majority of us, we live in this middle world of like, I'm not really super righteous and I'm not really in a hard story. I'm just kind of living my life and just wondering, does God have any purposes for a person like me? And the answer is, yes, he does. And the shepherds give us that. So Jesus comes for you too. And so I want to work through the passage, and then we're going to pull some things out along through the way, and then we'll land the plane with some things that I think are particularly important, especially in today's world. So let us begin with the passage. Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Okay, so let's stop. Back up. Back it up. Stop right there. Let's stop and pull this apart. Think about this for a second. In the ancient Israel world, these are not vocational farmers, okay? The farmers have plots of land that were given from the time that the Israelites moved into the promised land. So these little chunks of land are their land that they farm, but they're not vocational farmers. They're subsistence farmers. What that means is the crops that they have in the field are the grain that their family is actually going to eat the next year. So I want to ask you a question. Do you, as a farmer, want the shepherds in your field? No. No. Because if they are, it's not just that they're kind of cutting in on your cash profit. They're actually taking food out of your family's mouth right? So the farmers don't want the shepherds with their flocks in the fields, except for one time during the year, and that's right after harvest, and here's why. 
If you've drove around the fields in our area on the Palouse, if you've drove, <laughs> I get paid to speak for a living. If you've driven um, around the fields, you, what you'll notice is when they cut the grain, there's stubble left, right? They can't cut all the way to the ground. Well, that's true in the first century as well. And so what they did was they had this arrangement where the farmer would allow the shepherd to bring his sheep into an already harvested field. The sheep eat the straw down to the ground and they leave a little deposit um, that future generations will call fertilizer and it becomes a really good arrangement for the shepherd and the farmer. The shepherd gets food for his sheep, the farmer gets his field cared for and they exchange grain and cheese and milk and all these different things and so it becomes this really good arrangement but that only happens at one time during the year. Mid-September. So if you don't like my uh, Zacharias of the Order of Abijah conversation about knowing how when Jesus was born, this proves it too. Um, so I'm right and you're wrong. Um, I mean, it, it only makes sense that it could only have happened one time a year because there was no other time during the year that the shepherds would ever have had their flocks in the fields. Okay. One of the things that we have to understand about the Bible is there's tremendous value in reading it, like read the whole Bible through in a year. I did a, a few years ago, I did a discipline where I read the Gospels once a week, all four of them every week for a year. And it was great. I love because when you read big sections of Scripture like that, you get um, the storyline. You get to see the storyline and how it fits together. It's just you don't see that when you read a smaller chunk. But, and so there's tremendous value in that. There's also tremendous value in reading the Bible really, really slow and looking like, why do I need to know this detail that they were in the fields nearby? Like, why do I need to know that? Well, I need to know that because it opens up a world of understanding about this story that I didn't previously have. And so there's value in asking, why do I need to know that detail? Why, why is that detail in there? Okay, so let's read on and we'll see if we can find some other details. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So let's picture this. So I'll, I'll be the angel of the Lord, obviously, who else would play this character. Uh, so I'm angel, ta-da, here I am. Glory of the Lord around you, shepherds. Glory of the Lord around you. Picture it. Imagine it. And they were terrified. Why? Because angels are scary creatures. Next slide. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. What is the angel's message for them? It's good news. It's good news. What's another word for good news? This is the gospel. The gospel is that God sees you, has broken through, and has come to your mess. That's good news. The gospel isn't, hey, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? That's not the gospel. The gospel is God sees you and he's, he's broken through into your mess. That will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
which by the way is not what you think the wooden crossbuck manger thing with the happy little clean straw in it and it's all sterile and, and the cleanly, you know, pretty, it's all, no. You come to Israel with me. You'll see how many things are built out of wood. There aren't, there is no wood there. They build everything out of stone because while there is no wood, there's also no shortage of rock. Um, and so they build everything out of stone. I'll show you a hundred mangers. They're all stone. All of them. Like this isn't pretty. Like where do we get that tradition from? Alexander the Great. Um, it's his fault. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, the, the group Preserving Bible Times, their website is preservingbibletimes.org. It's a great website, great resource, ton of stuff. Doug Greenwald, who's a, a fantastic scholar, um, less than stellar speaker, but a fantastic scholar and writer. He's a great writer. Um, he sent out an email. He, gets a, he sends out an email weekly. And the, a couple of weeks ago, it was about the angels, this multitude of angels, this great company of angels. Like, how many is that? And and he asked all these really interesting questions, which caused me to ask a whole bunch more really fascinating questions to me, probably not to anybody else, but like, well, how, many is, how many is that, this great multitude? Like, is it, is it 100? Is it 1,000? Is it 10,000? Like, is, it, is this all the angels in heaven or is this just a portion of them? Is this just like the varsity squad? And if it's just varsity, how do you try out? And, and they're gonna, and they're gonna, how do you get picked for that? Like, who wouldn't want to be the purveyor of this message? And was there, was there like a hundred thousand of them? And you can't, so many that the shepherds couldn't see them all. And some in the back were feeling insecure because they didn't get noticed. Like how, how many is this? Cause, and do they have to practice because they're going to chant in unison this amazing statement. Was there a rehearsal or, or did they just know because they're awesome and they're angels, they could just say it as one or was like, it raises all kinds of questions. Great company of angels. What does that mean? This is how my mind works. Um, this is my personal wrestling match. <laughs> uh, they're praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now think about this for a second. If there was ever somebody in the Jewish social structure that didn't feel like God's favor rested on them, like these guys who are probably actually female, but that's another sermon for another day. If you need male shepherds, you can have them. It's just not culturally accurate. These people, like, they're not valuable to anybody. They're not, they're not worth anything. Like, these shepherds are, like, nobody would listen to them. Why in the world would God come to them and say, peace to you on whom God's favor rests. Like we get God's favor. Look at us. We're in poverty. We're sleeping outside with sheep. Nobody in that world. You know how when you're a kid, you have this thing you want to grow up and be, I want to be a professional athlete or a doctor, a policeman, or, you know, whatever, garbage man. I don't care. Whatever you want to be. Nobody in this world ever, in the ancient world, ever would have grown up and said, man, I hope I'm a shepherd one day. Nobody would have done that. And yet God says to them, glory to God and on earth peace to you guys on whom God's favor rests. Like God sees you and his favor rests with you. 
Let's read on. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things up in her heart, which is a weird that's a weird statement. Like, why do I need to see that? And, and so something hit me. Now, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, and so I grew up and we did uh, the nativity play every Christmas Eve. All the, chil- all the Sunday school classes had a part, and I loved being the shepherd. That was my favorite role because we did outside nativity, and it was cold, and we, got, we were third and fourth grade boys. We got to stand around this pan that had diesel rags in it, so it was a real fire. We had a real fire, and I was like, oh, we could burn things. Like, as a third or fourth grade boy, that was, that was the best part of Christmas right there. But my, in my mind, the way that I always had this pictured was they, the shepherds come to the cave or the stable under the house or wherever it is, wherever you need this event to be happening, and they see it. They see Mary and Joseph and the baby, and then they run through the town of Bethlehem telling everybody what they saw. That's what I've always pictured. But if you read it as if Mary and Joseph and the baby are there, and there are other people around there, and that doesn't have to change the location, but that the shepherds show up not running through the town, but they show up and they're like, you guys will never believe what just happened to us. For those people that are standing there, that actually gives Mary the ability to be able to take this in. Does that make sense? Like it doesn't have to be that way, but it's an interesting, it never hit me before this year. It was actually something Marty pointed out in in Sermon Club because that guy's stinking brilliant. Um, It was something I'd never thought of it before. And I was like, you know, maybe, I don't know. That's interesting. Thought I would share it with you. Let's read on. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. I love the shepherds. I love the shepherds because they live in a world much like our world is religiously. And what I mean by that is their assumption was that God speaks. I mean, yes, he's everywhere and he's kind of with everybody, but he speaks to certain people. And the rest of us kind of have to get the drippings off of that. We have the trickle-down economics of God speaking to someone else. So the religious elite, if that's who God's, God doesn't show up and talk to me. Like God isn't. God may say something to the preacher or the priest or the pastor or the whatever, whatever you call them, but God doesn't speak to me. Like, why would it, who am I? Why would, I'm, I'm a nobody. Like, I'm, there's nothing special about me. Why would God speak to me? I think, I think a lot of us fit into that category where we're like, just like the shepherds. Like, if, if God was going to communicate a message, isn't there somebody else that would be so much better for him to talk to? or more importantly, to talk through to others. Like, who am I? And I get that. I get that. Because for me, growing up, like, I never, 
I never felt like I fit anywhere. And, and this is my own interpretation of the world, but um, I was substantially younger than my brother and sister. I was four years younger than my sister, six and a half years younger than my brother. And I was, um, I was an accident. Uh, they, and that was like the running joke in my family. Like, we, didn't, we, we named you Aaron because we couldn't spell whoops. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was real funny. <laughs> it's funny for everybody else. Funny for everybody else. But, but like, <laughs> it, I'm, I'm over it, kind of. Uh, but it was like, you know, name Jaren because we couldn't spell. Ah! That was the running joke in my family. And so for me, like, as I get it. That was just a joke. But for me as a little kid, it was like, I don't fit. Uh, that's how I interpreted it. I don't fit. And uh, that was hard. And I wanted to go and do all the things that my brother and sister went and did, and they were bigger, and they could do more, and they had more privileges because they were older than me. So they got to go out when they were in high school, and I didn't because I was in grade school, and they got to stay out and do fun things with their friends, and I got to go home, go stay home and go to bed early. And it was, I mean, it was just one of those things where I never really fit. I, my interpretation of it was I never really fit in my home. But then I went to school, and the problem with that was I spent my life at home uh, interacting with people who were a lot older than me. So I didn't really fit at school either because I didn't understand why they cared about the things that they cared about. Like, I've never understood our culture's fascination with sports. Like, I played sports in school and stuff, and I don't mind. I don't have a problem with sports, but I don't understand why, like, I have to know every stat of every player of every sport, and especially the All-Stars, and I got to know what's going on with their family and their kids, and I know all these things about everything, about all of them. Like, I don't get their, their men in a field playing a game. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand it. And it's one of those things where I've, I've always felt growing up like I'm the misfit. Like I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand this. And so what I love about the shepherds is that God comes to me and he says, I have something to say to you, to you. And I'm like, why? Of all the people you could choose, choose one of the sports stars. Here, people will listen to them. Not me. I, who am I? Like what? And I think for many of us, we can kind of resonate with that. Like, we know exactly what that feels like. The, the, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why, God, would you come to me? Well, here's why. Because God is for everybody. Like, that's, that's who he is. The shepherds and the angels coming to shepherd, and we have all these layers of rejection in the Advent story, this cultural rejection and family rejection and social rejection, once God's perspective enters the story, all of a sudden, all that rejection becomes something totally different. That's what I love about this part of the Christmas story, is that God breaking through to the shepherds allows me to feel like God has something to say to me. And it gives you permission to believe that God would have something to say to you. Not through somebody else, but God himself speaking to your heart for you. That's like really powerful. You have that and God wants that for you. And it's with that in mind that we're going to move towards the Lord's table. And so if you're new with us, uh, we have an open table. What that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake communion with us. But as the trays go by, we want you to grab the cup and the, and the little one square of bread. Don't take a handful because we'll run out. Uh, just one square and hold those till the end and um, 
we'll take it all together as a family. So while they're, um, while they're passing that out, we want to move through a few um, implicaciones. Spanish. I'm multilingual. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. You know, in the, I, I've been taking trips over to the Middle East for several years now, and, and in the Middle East, they have the saying, you know, somebody who speaks three languages in the Middle East, they call them trilingual. And somebody who speaks two languages, they call them bilingual. And somebody who speaks one language, they call them American. And so it's kind of true. It's kind of true. Want to work through some implications with you, and these implications are things that, um, as we worked through this passage in Sermon Club, these are things that we thought were particularly important. And there's, you have total freedom to say, well, but this it hits me in this part of my life over here. That's totally fine if it's not part of our implications. If the Spirit's using it to work in your heart, because God speaks to you, and so that's okay. These are just some places where we felt like God spoke to us. Okay, so implication number one. God is for everybody. He's not communicating only with the religious elite. God shows up for all of us. And that is good news because in the middle of your mess, there's a baby Jesus waiting to meet you there. Next implication. There are no racial, social, circumstantial, or political barriers to God's work and his message. In the world we live in today, like, it seems like these few issues are so polarized and, and on the surface. Like, growing up for me, racism was never an issue. And maybe it should have been. I don't know. You know, I grew up in a, in a town, a small town in the Northwest that was 100% white. Like, I, my, my exposure to racial diversity was really limited, and I get that, and probably had I been in a different world, maybe it would have been more, but I never realized, like for me as growing up, like I was like, racism is still a thing? Like really? Because we never, who cares? That's where we were at, who cares what color is it? Who cares? Um, and so as it's kind of reemerged into this world of the news and it's become such a tension-filled thing, I feel like it's like the church has got to stand up and cleanly say that there is no place for racism in the kingdom of God. You cannot treat anybody based on their racial or race of origin differently and call yourself a Christian. You can't. You can't. And the church needs to just stand up and say it. Um, I don't need, and people are like, well, you got to have grace and give them an opportunity to change. No, I don't need to create space for hate in the kingdom of God. There's no place for hate. Racism's wrong. And the political barriers that are in our world, so polarizing. It's so, like, did you know that God is not Republican? <laughs> I don't know if some Christians know that. I'm not saying he's, he's not a Democrat either. Don't get me wrong. But there should be able to have, we should be able in the kingdom to create space for people who are on both sides of the political aisle to come in and love one another and love God's mission first and then work through the political issues. Like, there aren't any political barriers in God's work. He, he has a space for everybody. Some of you have cared way too much about that statement. <laughs> Last implication, 
The joy of Advent is that God has come to give a voice to the voiceless, power to the powerless, and freedom to the oppressed. So if I have, if I have anybody else left to tick off, I'll do it now. Um, here's what I want to say. I believe that God cares very much about people who are taken advantage of, who are oppressed, who are uh, abused. I mean, I want you to understand, in our world today, this is a real stat. Seven out of 10 girls and four out of 10 boys by the age of 18 are gonna face abuse of some kind. That's an epidemic. Like if that was polio and 70% of our female population was being affected by it, we'd find a vaccine. Well, but abuse doesn't kill people. Well, first of all, yeah, it can. And secondly, sometimes their fate's worse than death. And, and so our church is going to continue because if the head cares, if Jesus as the head of the body cares about giving a voice to the voiceless, power to the powerless, then the body has to do what the head tells it to. We don't have a choice. And I've had so many people tell me, don't walk down this road. It's dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous. You're going to have a bunch of people calling stuff abuse that isn't correct. So what you're telling me is then we shouldn't address it? Because we already have a bunch of people doing stuff that is abuse and calling it not abuse. So we've already got the problem. Let's deal with it consistent with the way Jesus would. At some point, we've got to make a stand for people who can't stand for themselves because that's what Jesus does. And so for you and me, we're going to, like 2018 is going to be a big year for that, for us. Because it's what Jesus came to do, to tell people who feel like there's no way that God would ever say anything to me. Why would he care about me? For us to be able to step in as God's ambassadors and say, God has a word for you too. So we're gonna do that. And yes, it's gonna get messy. And yes, we're gonna take heat. And we're gonna get made fun of. And we're gonna have a bunch of churches that all, we already do. We already do have a bunch of churches that look at me and go, I cannot believe you are an idiot for even having that conversation. I've had that conversation with pastors. Here's what I'm going to say. With all the love in my heart, if you're a pastor and you're going to avoid the important topics of our day because you're afraid of what somebody might do to abuse what you're trying to say, I really question your faith. Because we're called to more. Like, we're called to be the kind of people that do what Jesus would do. If Jesus shows up in our mess, we got to show up in other people's mess too. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Uh, and I don't, I, I, here's what I know. Anytime that you try to do something serious for the kingdom, I know that Satan gets involved and tries to make it really messy, and I'm sure he probably will, and there'll be moments where we'll all look around and go, I don't know if we should have did this. Uh, on the front end of this conversation, let me tell you, this is what God wants. It's what God wants for you. It's what God wants for me. And so that's what we're going to do. I don't know what that means. It may be awesome. It may be all roses and butterflies and unicorns. It may be that. Probably not. Because when you start dealing with abusers who like to have control and you start taking their control away, they get really loud and nasty and messy, right? And here's, um, I, I, 
I'm not picking a fight, but I ain't going to back down from one either. <laughs> um, I, we've got to do this because it's what Jesus does. He gives a voice to the voiceless. He gives power to the powerless. This is what Jesus does, and the body has to do what the head tells it to. If the head laid down his life, we lay down our life as well. That's what we do, and that's what communion gives us, is this opportunity to reflect on what it looks like for us to be more in line with the life that Jesus actually calls us to. It's a reminder that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so Lord, thank you for noticing us those of us that are in the mundane, insignificant, not important, never going to do anything places in our life, you see us there and you remind us that your favor rests on us as well. Lord, give us the courage to take that message to people who desperately need it. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.